Oh, shoot, we're live. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia with episode 124 of the MMA Rings podcast. I just wanted to say hello. Hope you're all doing well and wanted to thank you all for joining us as usual. Please feel free to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where we are back every week talking about mixed martial arts. Um, my partner, Shawan Haynes, is not here today, and that's because of me. Simply because I didn't have the time to do a show later on today, I wanted to get one down a little bit early. For his commentary across social media at Black Drawing Breed on Twitter, you can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports, where I'm always talking shit about MMA, boxing, basketball, professional wrestling, and just about everything else. So I thank you for taking the time to check out our show today. And I hope that you continue listening. Please share this video across all of our all of your social media outlets and keep people informed about what we have going on here. I have a few different things to talk about today. Wanted to jump in and definitely let's take a quick look back at UFC 238, the event that went down this past Saturday where we saw a lot of great action. It was a good card. I really enjoyed it from top to bottom. Um, it was a seven hour show. Didn't really feel like it. I, I like how uh, Sean Rossat from Fightful has been describing it as an event that had stakes. Every fight mattered for some point or, or, or reason. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some of those stakes tonight and talk about some of the outcomes and how they impact those who were involved. And we're also going to look forward to this uh, tomorrow's Bellator 222 card, which is another good card from top to bottom. A lot of good action there. And if you're a mixed martial arts fan, you should definitely make it a point to catch this event on um, Saturday because it has a good mix of names you may know, a good mix of up and coming uh, up, and co up and coming fighters and a little bit of everything in between. So I hope that you take the time to watch that event as well. But thank you again for joining us today. Um, we're going to jump right in. And I want to start by, I want to talk news. For, well, yeah, let me go ahead and talk news first because this um, this the one probably big news that came out, um, where well, it was two actually. First, King Mo retired uh, this past weekend. And if you don't know King Mo uh, Wall, he's a former Strike Force champion. He actually uh, surprised a lot of people and defeated Gregoire Musasa years ago. But ACL injury and the staff infection really hampered his career. He was never able to become that star that he, that a lot of people thought he was going to be. And he struggled after uh, the ACL injury and, and the staph infection that almost killed him. He never really got back um, on the horse, per se. He was in Bellator. He fought a couple of times for the championship. I remember he got stunned by uh, Emmanuel Newton the first time. Uh, he's been uh, defeated by a lot of people since then. He's just never really looked like the same person. He also has some crossover appeal in professional wrestling. But again, that uh, period of his career never really took off either. But he is a character in the industry. He's um, followed this show for a little while. He's, um, I've had some interactions with him across social media. I know other people have as well. Shawan Humes has as well. And uh, he's definitely a friend of this show. So I just wanted to kind of tip my hat off to King Mo because he's, he's always been a standout athlete in my opinion. But I definitely um, wish we got to see more of him at his peak because those health, those health issues that he had, especially that, Nasty scare with that staff infection really uh, took a lot out of him when he was at his best. But e either way, you know, I wanted to congratulate him on his retirement and on that great career that he had across Strike Force and across um, across Strike Force and across 
uh, what's the other one? Bellator. So let's talk about the other bit of news that occurred, uh, not today, but recently, in that, uh, you know, I wrote a piece about this, but it didn't get published because I need to go back and change it because of this news. But what occurred was, uh, we all know Tatiana Suarez fought at UFC 238, and she defeated uh, Nina Ansaroff. And in a fight that a lot of people looked at as a number one contenders fight. You had Suarez, who a former um, uh, high-level wrestler, she was an, I think, an alternate for an Olympic team uh, neck injury, a scary neck injury, uh, ended up bringing her wrestling career to a halt. And she ended up moving on into mixed martial arts, but she's still having uh, issues with that neck injury, so much so that, according to Luke Thomas today on MMA Beat, she was saying that she's having loss of feeling in her arms and in her face. Think about how scary that is to not be able to feel your face and that her neck injury is so dire that it can end up in paralysis. And if you know anything about her wrestling style, she's very like a headfirst wrestler, for lack of a better term. She dives in headfirst on singles, double legs. She drives with her face, drives you up against the cage. If you look back at the takedown she had against, at the multiple takedowns she had against Ansaroff on Saturday, that her head position plays a lot of that. Head position is big in professional wrestling. And I see not professional wrestling. Head position is big in wrestling across the board, but it's even, I mean, in MMA, it's big as well. But imagine how you're getting your head snatched on and pushed around so like that. That can't be good for your neck. And we see that this neck injury that has hampered her throughout her wrestling career is now coming back again. And it looks even to be um, more scary this time around. So she is uh, waiting on, you know, seeing what comes from that and getting her neck checked out. And while she's in that position, according to Luke, again, it seems like she's not all that mad that she's not selected for this title fight. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't want her or anyone else to try to step into the cage with this type of injury. So I understand uh, that she's okay for being passed over, for lack of a better term. And then... So you have Tatiana Suarez, who many thought was going to be a, a top contender or the number one challenger. She even called out the champion in a post-fight press conference or a post-fight interview or answer off. But there was also Michelle Waterson. She's ranked number seven in the division of former Invicta Adamweight champion. And she's on a three-fight win streak with her most recent win coming over Carolina Kowalskiewicz, who fought uh, tonight. And that went over Carolina, doesn't. That, that's a, we'll get to that when we go over our, our fight recaps. But Watterson picked up that victory there, and she's been angling for a title shot. Now, I was expecting her to get selected for this title shot, not necessarily based on her in-cage resume as of late, but the fact that She's being slotted by the UFC. I mean, she's getting pushed. You see her doing work on the desk. She's uh, appearing and doing commentary for shows. You see her going on to the Joe Rogan podcast. She's uh, repped by WME, which is the organization that is a part of the ownership ownership body over the UFC and Zufa. So it's almost. I was surprised that she got passed over for this um, for this situation, but. 
what is not gonna say upsetting what's so what's so frustrating for me per se it's not i don't even think frustrating is the word because i'm not new to this game at all but uh the title shot is going to Wei Li Zhang and it'll happen at an event in China I think on August 31st I think that is the day I'm actually let me look at yeah August 31st event in China and again Zhang I'm not mad at her as a top contender she has fought three times in UFC she's 19 and one she lost I think her, her debut fight and has won 19 straight that's a similar a lot that's very similar to the run that Cyborg went on. She's won three fights in the in the UFC, and she seems to be someone who uh, it will be a great uh, personality for uh, the industry, for the sport. After she defeated Tisha Torres, everyone kind of cheered for her when she introduced herself to the crowd in in, in English. And, and you can see she seems to be someone that the fans can get behind her. So I'm not mad about her getting the title shot, but I'm. I, it's almost comical the way Dana White just completely ignores the situation. And this doesn't give people truth. He was asked about Michelle Waterson as a top contender for Andrade, or uh, he was actually asked about Suarez or uh, Waterson as being the top contender. And he said that Michelle isn't the top contender because she doesn't want to fight until September or October and she's ranked too low. Well, Michelle's ranked number seven, Zhang is ranked number six. And August 31st isn't that far from September. In fact, it's one day before. So like, let's just be real here. Let's be quite frank. The reason why Zhang is getting this title shot is because the event is in China, period. There's no other way to look at that. They, they being the UFC, have long wanted to submit themselves in the Asian market, and they haven't really found an, an, an Asian star that they can build around. They thought they had it with um, Korean Zombie. And he's not out the mix, but his military time and his injury against uh, Josie Abbott kind of pulled him out that picture. They thought they had it with the whole Choi, but he can't get a win after being um, banged around in his last two fights. They thought they had it with, um, God, who's the other guy who was always, who was gregarious and talking about all the women, whatever that dude's name was. He has a big tattoo on his chest. He got smashed and now he's out of that conversation. But Zhang, man, she's on a tear, 19 and um, one. She has a big win over Tisha Torres, who is probably one of the top contenders in this division. And she looks like somebody that can be um, leveraged, somebody that, that can be leveraged to put in that position. But I, again, I'm not mad. I'm interested about this fight from a stylistic, stylistic point of view. Um, I think she was, uh, uh, Shawan was talking about it this week where he thinks that Zhang can be someone who can threaten Andrade with body shots and uh, that maybe her movement isn't as great, but definitely that she can potentially threaten Andrade with body shots is something that he's been wanting to see for the long, longest time. And I think that this is an interesting matchup. It's going to be a striking affair. I don't think it's going to go all five. Um, I've been picking Andrade to win. But I, I look, I'm not mad at this fight from a booking standpoint, not in any way, shape, or form. But I would just like it if perhaps we got some honesty every now and then. Because, like I said, this fight is being booked because it, it, it's in China. The UFC must have break into that market. Jang is probably the most um, the most bankable star, and I put that in air quotes that they have from that part of the world on the roster today. And again, 
I'm not mad at it, but I just want some truth. And also on top of that, Waterson, if this fight was in anywhere in the United States, Waterson would be the one getting the shot. If it was in Albuquerque, if it was in California, if it was somewhere along those lines, Waterson would definitely be getting the shot just because she is the bigger name, period. She has a strong, I think I looked at the top 10 in the division and she, Ioana Jacek is the only one that has more followers than her and, and her and Ioana are the only two that have more than a million followers with uh, Ioana having 1.3 and uh, Waterson having 1.1. So, and you may say that that doesn't matter, but it does. That's the type of stuff that they hitch, they hitch their wagon to, they being UFC matchmakers because they want someone that's going to garner a lot of uh, attention. Waterson has been doing, I think she's done the ESPN circuit before. Um, she's, she is bankable. She's billable. She's bookable. And they seem to have decided to go against her for this fight. Just to be in China. It'll be interesting to see what happens next if she takes a, another fight. Um, I don't know who. She, let me, if I look at the rankings real quick, let me pull those up. With, in a, with a rematch against Rose Lama Yunus, but she doesn't want to return so quickly. So that fight was also out there too, as well. But uh, let's see. Looking at the 115 pound division. There you go. So obviously you have Rose, who just talked about. Uh, Tatiana and Nina just fought. Uh, and Tatiana's out because of the neck injury. You have Yuani and Jacek. Claudia Gadelia has a fight coming up against, uh, I'm not quite sure, but she has a fight coming up. Uh, let me check. Claudia Gadelia is fighting. Ronda Marcos at uh, UFC 239 in a couple weeks. And to be honest, if Mar Waterson and, and Ladelia were paired up, I would pick Waterson over her. Um, you have Zhang at six, and you have Waterson and Tisha Torres, who has defeated. Um, Tisha Torres defeated Michelle. You have Carla Esparza. I think Carla Esparza is on a little bit of a run, too. I think they can be on. Let me see something. Carla Sparza was riding a, uh, she just returned, she was losing, she lost two in a row, and then she won one, so she, uh, in April of this year. You have Cynthia Cavillo, who's ranked number 10, she's coming off of a win as well, or uh, two in a row, but Courtney Casey and uh, Pollyanna Botello. So, you know, she, there are some fights there. I, I would be interested in what that, court, uh, what that Cynthia Cavillo fight would look like too as well, but again, Watterson doesn't have any, uh, what's the word, any, so what I'm looking for. She doesn't gain anything from taking a fight against either one of those. So Carla maybe getting a win over a former champion would look good and add to her, her resume, but she at this time just doesn't she doesn't get anything from the let's see she won. She's on a three fight win streak. But I don't think who's Carolina's on Carolina's ranked. She's number thirteen now. Lisa Herrick is ranked. She's number 12. And then Courtney Casey is ranked. She's number 15. So she's beaten the uh, lower portion of the top 15, but she struggled against the top. I mean, because look at that. Tisha Torres defeated her. And Rose Namajunas uh, has, has defeated her as well. Both actually won stoppage and won decision. She did drop two back to back. 
let's see what happens, man. Because like, Michelle, to me, she's a little engine that could. She just keeps going. And as I pointed out, like I look, I like the way she fights now because it's it's specifically point fighting. Whether people want to get angry about it or not, it's definitely point fighting that she finds a way to get the win. And um, she wears her opponents out along the way. But that was probably the biggest piece of news, those two pieces of news, looking at King Mo's retirement and Wiley Zhang getting the title shot. Um, and yeah, those are the two pieces I wanted to go over this week. So for this next segment, I want to jump into fight recaps, looking back at UFC 238. Let's talk about some of the action that we saw there. Let me grab a quick sip of water. Mute you guys real quick. Quality H2O as uh, the guy from, what is it, Waterboy, let's say Adam Sandler. But anyway, let's go ahead and kind of look at UFC 238, where we had Henry Cejudo became a champ champ, and as he put it, the greatest combat athlete of all time. I think he's incorrect, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not a fan of Henry Cejudo, but that's just, I don't want to dive into that now. But he defeated Mom Rouse via TKO uh, in the third round. Did he go three? I thought he went two. But in the third round, he definitely um, defeated uh, Marlon Morales. There's only 10 seconds left in getting that finish. You have, um, and this fight, round one is what I thought this fight was going to look like. I thought it was going to be a lot of Henry struggling to get inside and Marlon picking him off with leg kicks and quick combinations anytime he got within striking range. For So Hudo to win this, he needed to get to the clinch. He needed to get some roughing takedowns. He needed to beat Marlon up. Initially, he wasn't doing that. Every time he would come in, Marlon would hit him with at least what seemed to be like three shots. And he was thudding him with leg kicks every time he got into position. And if you know how to fight a wrestler, leg kicks are, are the name of the game because it takes away their movement. It takes away their ability to um, – it takes away their movement. It takes away their ability to penetrate with their shots, get their explosion – Get their um, get their drive, and it was clear that uh, Sehudo was struggling with that. Now it came out; I think he had an ankle injury, and there were a lot of uh, media outlets that were reporting that he was hurt leading into the fight, and that he uh, or that he sounded it seemed like he had injured himself uh, right before uh, weigh-ins or something along those lines. But in, anyway, uh, he wasn't one hundred and ten percent when it came to his legs, and Marlon was taking advantage of that chopping away at him, chopping away, chopping away. And that first round is what I thought the fight was going to look like. I figured that if this keeps up like this, come the third round, Cejudo may be getting finished. Cejudo at the third or fourth round. But maybe it was the wrestling scrambles that Cejudo was hitting him with, or maybe it was the big moment, because if something didn't seem right with Marlon at the midway through the second round, because he just lost all enthusiasm to fight. He stopped throwing combinations. Stop, stop throwing leg kicks, and he was allowing Suhudo to get to the clinch. And when Suhudo would get to the clinch, he would do the probably the worst thing that you're supposed to do, and that was duck down and duck down right into your opponent's knees. And that was just not. And from there, it just went downhill to the point where he got finished at the end of the, of the third round, and he just looked. He didn't look good, man. I don't know if it was the weight cut, because a lot of people talk about he has a, a big weight cut. I don't know if it was just the moment that got to him, if he was just not in as good of a shape as he should have been in, 
but something just did not seem right. Like if I want to look, I want to look at his record real quick. And before this fight, he hadn't spent, he spent, it had been more than two, it had been going on two years since he had spent three full rounds in the cage. Um, all his other fights, or even five full minutes, take that back, it had been almost two years since he spent five full minutes in, in the octagon because he defeated Rafael Sanzao, Jimmy Rivera, and Aljamain Sterling via stoppage all in the first round. The last time he went all a full fight was against John Dotson at UFC, um, I don't know what the fuck that number is, at, uh, in November of 2017. Only other time he's gone, he's gone five rounds two times in his career. Two times, yep. And once was at, um, was against Josh Hill at World Series of Fighting um, 18. And then against Josh Reddinghouse, I remember that at uh, World Series of Fighting Nine, where he won his first bantamweight title. He won he won his bantamweight um, title there. So yeah, it's just odd that. I mean, it looks look so so bad. I mean, this is his third time getting finished. No, one, two, three, four. It's his fifth time getting finished. So he he's been finished five out of six losses. That just doesn't, that doesn't look good for me. But on the other hand, you got to talk about Sahudo. I mean, he went out there and he got the job done, becoming a double champion, increasing his stock across the organization. I don't, I don't think he's a pound for pound king. I think you have to put John Jones ahead of him. You have to put, um, what's the other guy? You have to put uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov ahead of him. Amanda Nunez, I put her ahead of him. Daniel Cormier, I put I will put um, him in front of uh, Henry. I would put let me see. I mean, maybe that's it right now. But what's frustrating to me was to hear those post-fight comments where he's talking about the people he wants to fight next. And I wrote about this. You can find this on MMARatings.net. Uh, it went up on I think Tuesday night, Monday or Tuesday. And he talks about fighting three people. Dominic Cruz, um, Uriah Faber, and Cody Garbrandt. Uh, Faber is coming off of a win over Brad Pickett when he retired back in 2016. And both Cruz and uh, Garbrandt are coming off of losses. Garbrandt has lost three in a row. Yet he is a former bantamweight champion, and Cruz is coming off of his loss to uh, Garbrandt, but he has not gotten back in the cage since 2016 because of injury. Let's talk about how fucked up this is. So Hudo claimed he was going to save the flyweight division, so he goes there. He goes there, and he defeats Demetrius Johnson in a very close split decision so much so that if you the pick them was nearly like the even post fight people still see that as a 50 50 split as if who won that fight i'm not upset i've never i was pissed that demetrius lost but i i, I going back and look at the fight i see why henry got his hand raised there the UFC refused to make that rematch with demetrius johnson so much so that they shipped him out of the organization traded him for ben Askren. so that fight's out of the way then you have joseph benavidez and juicier for 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 me to, Basically, doing a rematch for the number one contender to the flyweight title. 
Yes, Cejudo has a win over, over Formiga, so there's that. Benavidez defeated him via split decision. Cejudo has made no comment or no mention about defending that flyweight title. Now, I understand if it's a weight cut issue because he did have weight issues early in, in his career, and he and I get it. After going up the going up 135, you may not want to cut back down to 125. He looked good at 135, but there's no way you can tell me what he's doing is a service to that uh, flyweight division. Then you have bantamweight. Not only is he calling out three guys who have not won in years, he's ignoring the fact that let's look at the top ten at 135. So at 135, Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan both fought on Saturday and both of them picked up wins. Aljamain Sterling is ranked number two. Uh, Peter Yan is ranked number four. So you're going to tell me, and Pedro Munoz, who's ranked number five, also fought that night. And Jimmy Rivera, who's ranked number eight, he also fought. So you're gonna look me in the face right now and tell me that none none of those three guys should be top contenders to this 135 pound belt. That Sahito's gonna look at them, not give them a shot, and try to go up to 145 to face off against Max Holloway or whoever that champion may be. He also I also saw him say something along the lines that if, if Frankie Edgar defeats Max Holloway, he wants to face Edgar for the uh, title. And I, I mean, no, 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 because he like you have to like these guys need to be in a position where you say I don't know what the UFC is doing, but they need to get these guys in a position where when they win a title they have to defend it. Okay, let's say that again. You win a title, you have to defend it. Conor McGregor didn't defend his titles and he bounced all around. Uh, Amanda Nunez she's set to defend the bantamweight title. I don't know if she's going to defend that um, that what what featherweight title. Daniel Cormier, he released, relinquished the 205-pound belt. Now he's this, uh, the heavyweight champion, but he was prepared to uh, defend both. Henry Cejudo should not be allowed to even, like, he, yes, he mentioned that fight, but he should not be in a position to bounce around like that. And I doubt the UFC is going to allow him to, to do so. But the fact that he has the audacity to kind of say that he, that's what he wants to do is just just sad to me because that's 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 the sad state that some of these divisions are in. And yes, these people are trying to jockey and position themselves to get title shots and to get big um, get big paydays. But Garbrandt, Cruz, and uh, who's it, Faber? I don't know if those guys sell. Like They don't sell as a, as, as a main event fighting Henry Cejudo for the Bantamweight title. Maybe as a co-main, but that, like that doesn't sell to me. I think he defeats all three of them. Clearly, I, th I think he defeats all three of them. Dominic Cruz is not the same fighter he, he, he once was. All those injuries have piled up on him. He doesn't have the, the movement to do so. Faber's coming out of retirement to fight at UFC Sacramento, but we have no idea what he's going to look like. I'm sure he's kept himself in shape, but that's not fighting shape. So there's no idea what that fight is really going to look like. As I wrote in my piece that you can find on MMARings.net, Henry Cejudo has work to do, and he has work to do and, and in both weight classes if he's going to keep and defend both belts. But you want to know who's doing work? Valentina Shevchenko, and she did work on Saturday against Jessica I. 
putting her out in, I think it was 45 seconds in the second round. Let's look real quick. She defeated her in 26 seconds in the second round. Head kick, KO, and it was probably one of the scariest KOs we've seen in a while. So much so that the cameraman, had, they had to keep the camera on Valentina from her waist up and didn't show anyone the commotion of what was going on in the octagon. I, luckily, I work for Fight Metric, which also is a subsidiary of UFC. So we got to look around and, and uh, see from camera angles just what was going on. And she did not move for almost like five minutes or so. It was pretty bad. And uh, Jessica, I was like there on the ground. She finally got up and was responsive, and she was able to stand up and be on, on her own power for the um, victory an announcement. But I mean, that was just a scary knockout. Shevchenko is the champion. I think she's going to dominate this division for an extended period of time. For a while there, a lot of people were talking about what Suarez would look like if she moved up to 125. But this neck injury, you don't you don't really know what that looks like, and her striking did not look that great. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, Shevchenko is doing a damn thing. And remember, I mean, she had two very close fights against Amanda Nunez, one five-rounder for the title and one three-rounder. That was just uh, that, was, that was just close. That was just very close. But you got to give it to you got to give it to uh, Shevchenko because she looks like she looks dominating. She looks like a someone who's going to lord over this division point. Sorry about that. But she looks like someone that's going to lord over this division for an extended period of time. And that's that's really what the division needs. I'm not sure if that's going to help raise any interest in the group. But I know uh, a lot of people want to see her succeed. I know a lot of people want to see her kind of flourish and see what that does for that division. Um, Jochenko is, she's someone that can become a crossover starful organization. I hate the way the UFC pushes her and her sister down our throats. And you know that they wanted Shevchenko to be a champion for as long as they possibly could. Um, they figured out ways to get her in, into the title picture and I get it. So let's see what's next for her because that division isn't, it is if Demetrius Johnson's division was um, weak, her division is probably just as weak because she has Caitlin Chukagian. Many people are kind of talking about she's next, so we'll see what that fight looks like uh, if that occurs. But I would pick Valentina. That Liz Carmouche, who gave Valentina her first professional loss, is also fighting. Uh, she's number three at 125, and there was talk about moving Shevchenko and Carmouche to making them the main event for an upcoming UFC card, which, which doesn't have. A uh, main event fight. Iwani and Jacek, they already fought. Roxanne Marfari, I mean, that's a great story, but I just don't think she has that piece. Joanne Calderwood, she lost to Caitlin Chukagian at UFC 238. You have Alexis Davis, Jennifer Maya, Lauren Murphy, and Andrea Lee. I don't think any of the, I don't think any top challengers are coming out of that group. You have Montana De La Rosa, Maria, uh, or, or Mara, Mara Romero Borella. Macy Barber, Paige Van Zant, and Paulina, Pauliana Botella. So there really isn't any depth in that division there. So I do expect her to lord over that group for an extended period of time. Uh, then you had the People's Main Event, the People's Main Event, and Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone, where Tony Ferguson won via Dr. Stoppage between the second and third round. 
And a lot of people are pointing to the after, pointing to the punch that landed on Cerrone's nose after the end of the second round, right at the end of the um, was at the end of the buzzer or whatever. Ferguson was in mid stride and he hit him. He popped him. It wasn't as bad as what Jermaine Rodney was doing, what we've seen in, in other situations, but it was definitely a nice little pop there. Um, it then. Cerrone's nose was broken, I guess, was what people are, are, are saying. And he blew, tried to blow his nose to clear the passageway. Now, if anyone who's been watching MMA for an extended period of time, they know that when you do that and you have a broken nose, your face is going to swell up like a balloon. And that's exactly what happened. We saw it happen on television within seconds. His face just puffed up and it was just disgusting. So the ref looks at it. Um, Cerrone's trying to push some of the air out, doesn't work. The ref, look, the ref looks like it at it, calls the doctor in. Doctor comes in and says, mm, nope, not happening, fights off. And that was it. Now, what happens here is Ferguson, who has not lost a fight since, was it 2012? Let me see. Yep, May 2012, he lost to Michael Johnson. And he's he's avenged that win, right? No, he has not. I thought he did. Okay, so he lost to Michael Johnson back in 2012. Since then, he's been on a tear. Let's talk about who he's defeated, okay? I'm just going to go with the biggest name. Josh Thompson, former challenge, a former champion in Strike Force. Uh, he is a title challenger in UFC, title challenger in Bellator. He should have been given that win over Benson Henderson. I thought he won that fight there too. And that's John uh, Josh Thompson, Edson Barbosa, uh, like top top contender, top five fighter, and lightweight Lando Venata. He took that fight on like a short week's notice, got hurt, and came back to win that fight via stoppage. Rafael dos Anjos, former champion at lightweight, now top contender at um, welterweight. Kevin Lee, former title ch uh, challenger at lightweight. Anthony Pettis, former champion, Donald Cerrone, multiple um, time title contender at lightweight, and he was a contender at uh, featherweight or welterweight as well. So he's fought a who's who in this division. And Donald, uh, not Donald, excuse me, Dana White, again, as you sit here and talk about it, he is not committal to Ferguson being considered the number one contender to uh, the winner of Dustin Poirier and Reed Navarro Madoff, who fight in September. Now, Ferguson was an interim champion. That belt was stripped from him when he got hurt and he banged up his knee before he was supposed to fight Khabib a couple, uh, I think it was last month, before the dolly throw, dolly throwing incident. I think that they're trying to figure out a way to keep Conor McGregor in the title picture. Because let's say Khabib defeats uh, Poirier next month. I believe the next fight that they're going to book is uh, Poirier, uh, is Nemaga Madoff versus McGregor sometime to close out this year. No one, I am not excited about that in any way, shape, or form. Not only because that fight was not close. This isn't Edgar Maynard 2, where that fight was back and forth, close, super close. This isn't Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. This is nothing like that. Conor McGregor was dominated and he quit when he tapped out. 
When you tap out, that means you quit. I'm sorry, sir. I can't take anymore. Please stop beating me up. I submit, I submit, I submit. That is what Conor McGregor did when he lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov. And you're telling me that without any fights, he hasn't done anything since except get in trouble, that that man is the number one contender for the, the lightweight champion, or, or yes, for the, for the lightweight champion. You have guys like, in, there's so many return matches you can book him in. Nate Diaz, Justin Gaethje, you have, let's see. I might even want to say that, because Tony Ferguson's out. In my opinion, Tony Ferguson is a top contender, okay? These are people that you can book Conor McGregor in against to um, make, like him, give him like a viable like fight. Donald Cerrone, Justin Gaethje, Ally Quinta, Edson Barbosa, I would love to see that. Kevin Lee probably isn't going back down to uh, 155. Anthony Pettis, Paul Felder. 10 names right there, I would love to see him fight. Would have no problem watching it. If you wanna book that as a main event for a UFC event on um, ESPN Plus or ESPN, Big ESPN, do that. But there's so many different uh, external circumstances around there, such as, such as um, pay-per-view points, money, Conor McGregor not wanting to be a co-main event, et cetera, et cetera. And I get that. UFC needs to do something to get this situation to work. He is not in any way, shape, or form. He is not the top contender. He is not the number one contender in the division. He's ranked number three right now behind Poirier and behind Ferguson. And there's no way, in my opinion, he should even be considered that high. He just shouldn't in any way, shape, or, well, I take that back. Yes, he can be that high, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't deserve a title shot coming off of a loss. I'm sorry, I, I said it, I mean it. He does not deserve a title shot coming off a loss. But it's clear that the UFC is trying to keep him in that position by not mentioning Ferguson as a um, top contender, and it's sad because he's done enough to deserve multiple title shots. This man has not lost in seven years, and it's not like he hasn't been active. He hasn't. He's won eleven straight fights in that time. Eleven straight fights. So seven years, and uh, so he's won eleven fights in seven years. Yes, I understand. He's had injury uh, concerns. He fought once in 2019, once in 2018, once in 2017. He fought twice in 2016, three times in 2015, and four, three times in 2014, and once in 2013. So I understand. You know, you may want to pull out the, in, the injury issue, but what can you say? His track record speaks for itself, and this man needs to be the number one contender. Man, let's see. What else happened at UFC 238? Peter Yan defeated uh, Jimmy Rivera. I mean, Jimmy Rivera's time at the top of the top of this division is done. Peter Yan looks like a pretty um, viable contender going forward. But Henry Cejudo is not calling him out. I'm not talking about heavyweight MMA. Fuck that match. Uh, Tatiana Suarez and Nina Ansaroff. I mean, they did their thing. Uh, Suarez gained a win. I, I liked how Ansaroff continued to fight in that third round. I think she won that round. She was good there. And Suarez, uh, her Striking didn't look great. I wonder if she was um, already worried about the neck injury at that point in time. But, you know, she did enough to win two of those rounds. Aljamain Sterling and, and um, Pedro Munoz. Um, Sterling, Sterling's interesting. 
he's very interesting to me. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of this guy. He does a great job striking. Or he does a good good job striking. He moves funky, for lack of a better term. And I know he's a solid wrestler, solid grappler, but he doesn't necessarily use that, per se. I think he uses that in reverse when someone tries to grab him. Uh, I wonder I wonder what his ceiling is going to be. I wonder what his ceiling is really going to be. And it's interesting to see what his ceiling will be over um, the next few years because Aljamain is interesting. I don't want to call him a prospect anymore, but he's definitely an interesting fighter, and I don't think we've seen the best of him yet, but I wonder if we will. I wonder if he will top out at some point. Alexa Grasso defeated Carolina Kowalkowicz, and I didn't want to um, harp on this fight for too long, but Carolina has done at, at, at the top of the division as well. She even said that, that maybe her best days are behind her because she has not look like the woman who, you know, hung with you and injected for five rounds. I really do believe that that knockout that Jessica Andrade gave her loosened things up and didn't and, and put her in a bad spot because Grasso was just pe piecing her up and picked her apart in this fight here. Calvin Cater looked clean as hell as he beat the shit out of, out of Ricardo Lamas. He's another one that is not at the, uh, not at, at the top of their game anymore. Um, Gio Nan Yen defeated Angela Hill. Angela Hill may be out of the, out of the UFC. I hate that because they're so good. I think she might be the only black woman left on. Well, no, uh, Sajari Eubanks might be the only black woman left on the roster now. Then you have Eddie Wineland. He's probably the next big win. Uh, he got a big win there. And Kitten Trukagian got a win over Joanne Calderwood. Joanna. No, jo Joanne Calderwood, excuse me. Then. I wanted to turn our attention over to Friday's card with uh, Bellator 222, an excellent card, which I believe uh, features a welterweight title fight between Rory McDonald and Nina Gracie. And a lot of people are talking about this, uh, and they're talking about this because McDonald, because of what McDonald said after uh, his fight on his fight over John Fitch, where he basically made it seem like he doesn't have it anymore. He doesn't have the desire to want to beat the shit out of people anymore. And, and it's funny because people have made the joke about if atheists, um, if atheists, Roy McDonald is going to be the next like motivated BJ Penn or C or C level Kane. And is that that's just unfortunate because. He's always been, I've never been like the biggest Rory fan, but I know I've always known that he was a threat and he was definitely a threat at welterweight. The man's, the man's fantastic. He's been doing the um, damn job. So now it, the question is, what would he look like? And he's saying, according to people that I've, I've been talking to, anything that I've been seeing on the net, that he is going to be more technical, more calculated, but he may not be the vicious animal killer that he was back in the day. So it'll be interesting to see what that really looks like and how he looks when all of that um, comes to a head on Saturday. But remember, Neiman Gracie is not someone to be overlooked. I'm still surprised that he beat Ed, Ed, Ed Ruth. I thought Ed Ruth was going to give him a very hard time. And that was, I mean, he even said that that was a tough fight there, but I thought Ed Ruth was going to be able to uh, pull that out. Um, and he's looked good. 
And I think this is a this is an opportunity for him. If he can catch McDonald sleeping, for lack of a better term, I think that this is going to be a huge moment for him. Um, because we know what guys look like when they don't want to fight anymore, when they don't have that desire to beat people within an inch of their life. We know that that can easily change someone. So let's see what he looks like and if he is able to bully Roy McDonald, for lack of a better term, who may not have that fighter's desire anymore, may not have that uh, incentive or that right to want to beat the shit out of people anymore. But uh, this is this is a huge fight for both men. I mean, McDonald is only, I don't think he's 30 yet. He's only 29 years old. He has 25 professional fights. He's been doing this for 14 years. Four, let me say that again. Roy McDonald debuted in 2005, October of 2005, 14 years ago when he was 15 years of age. Three fucking ridiculous. He's had wars against Carlos Condit. I remember the Robbie Lawler one. Both of the Robbie Lawler fights, uh, he's that fight he had against Stephen Thompson. He got smashed by Gabriel uh, Musasi. I mean, the John Fitch fight just didn't look good. He has wins over some of the best in Tyron Woodley, Damian Maya, BJ Penn, Nate Diaz. Like he, this guy, he's done it. But he is at a point where he may be saying, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. And we'll see if that is going to have an impact on how he performs against uh, Neiman Gracie on Friday. Then you have your co-main event, which originally was the main event. And it's a fight that I'm surprised actually never happened before. I, I looked, I looked today as I was preparing for the show, like, has this fight happened? Is this a rematch? And maybe I just missed it. But he's fighting Leona Machida. Chela Sonnen and Leona Machida are fighting for the uh, are fighting in the 205 pound division. I really don't care about this fight too much. I expect Leona to get the win. Uh, he, he looked he looked good against uh, Rafael Carvalho. Sonnen is Sonnen. You know, he's going to go in there and I think get swept. But what's interesting is Machida is is they're both trying to angle for this fight to be a number one contenders fight against Ryan Bader and his 205 pound belt, you know, the, the champ champ, Ryan Bader. And if I'm Bader, I bet that he's wanting, he may want Sonnen to get this win because Machida slept him before. I don't think he wants to put himself in that position again. Let me see when him and Machida fought. They fought back in 2012, I believe, right? Yep, um, Ryan Bader and Leona Machida fought back in 2012 where Ryan Bader went down via knockout. Since then, he's been on a steamroll. I mean, he's been he's been the man since, uh, let's see how many fights he won in a row because I do not remember now. Let me that out. He's won, oh, look at that. One, two, three, four, five, six. He's won seven fights in a row. Uh, yeah, so I guess, let's see. What happens there? I do. I would like to see the winner in this fight get a shot at him because I don't. He's, he can sit on that belt for as long as he possibly needs because just because that division is not stacked at all. Then you have Dylan Dennis and Max Humphrey. I mean, Dennis is going to Dennis. He's going to get up there. He's going to talk foolish. This a clown, a complete clown shoes grabbed um, Darian Caldwell and Roy McDonald's belts to take pictures for media. As he's like, as he's some sort of um, champ, champ, and I get it. I mean, dude, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're trying to to be someone 
that draws a lot of attention because you say gregarious things, but like, there has to be a line. Like, when do you become a clown? Because he's all, he's, if he's not there already, he's awfully close. And I, it makes me not want to watch him like It doesn't make, like, the, some of the things that Connor used to say, who's a, from a friend and training partner in him, made me want to see if Connor could move up those expectations that he was, that he was creating for himself. Dylan does the exact opposite, and it makes me not want to fight this. See this guy fight at all. I hope he gets swept. Um, he's fighting three and two, Max Humphrey. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Then you have eleven and two, Ricky Banderas, and ten and zero, Patrick Mix. I'm, I'm hearing that this should be a pretty good fight, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that one too. Eduardo Dantas, former champion, fighting Juan Archuleta, uh, twenty-one and six against 20, 22 and one. So that should be a good one. The fight I'm looking forward to the most. Darian Cardwell versus the QLG for Gucci. Now, I'm not sure, I don't even know how this isn't the cool main event of the night. Cardwell lost to Horaguchi uh, in Ryzen via He was winning because you know he was out wrestling him. He was just so much bigger than Horaguchi that that but Horaguchi was able to submit him, I think, via guillotine. And now they're doing a rematch in the Bellator cage. The caveat though is that if Horaguchi wins. He has to defend that Bellator title once a year. So he can be a champ champ across two promotions, which is amazing to think about. We're at a time where, where cross-promoting is really happening in mixed martial arts. I don't think it will ever happen at the UFC level, but it's, it's good to see it happen here because um, this is an exciting fight that a lot of people should be looking forward to, this battle between these two. I think the cage is going to play a difference. We cannot ignore the fact that Horiguchi has fought and competed in the cage. He fought the my opinion, top three greatest fighter of all time, and um, Demetrius Johnson in the cage and survived all the way up to the last second. So let's see what he can do against Darian Caldwell. We have four and two Aaron Pico looking to rebound against eight and no Adam Borges. Now, what's stands out to me in this is that the, the level of difference between these two guys. Dylan Dennis is one and zero against a three and two fighter. Someone who let's see if he is. Coming off of a, a, a loss and making his belt to a debut. Pico, who was knocked out in his last fight, is fighting someone who has three Bellator wins under his belt. Um, all three via highlight rule stoppage. When I'm not gonna say highlight rule stoppage, all three via stoppage. Seven uh, see, he has eight wins, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six of those have come by stoppage. I don't think this is a this is a good fight for him. In fact, I may turn around and put a couple bucks on, on this fight. I want to I want to look into that because I think that Pico is someone who just doesn't he doesn't fight to his strengths. Now, what is interesting is that he has moved over to Jackson Wink, a team that is strategy first. Do not be surprised if you see him come in and use wrestling. We have we have not seen his wrestling on full display since he started since he's been fighting. He's been loving his striking and loving knocking guys stupid. Which he does. He has the power to do so. But don't forget how great of a wrestler he is. So do not be surprised if he comes in here and he starts laying out some takedowns and getting on top and dominating in that fashion. That's what I want to see. Because that's what he's need that's what he needs to do if he's going to extend his career for an extended amount of time. Because right now, going in there and getting knocked out ain't gonna help him none. Um, and I hope that he does make that change to um, elongate and elaborate on his career. Then we have, let's see, well, who else on this card? Heather Hardy, um, she's making her return against Taylor Turner. 
Valerie Lareda and Larkin's dash, which is a pretty funny fight here because Larkin has made herself in kind of, of a, she's made herself into a joke per se. She She's listed as Owen O here, but I think she's actually an Owen one professional fighter. Um, she just, her last fight was pretty abysmal. I've seen some of the video clips, but she signed her fight contract in Hooters while she, clearly she was at work because she's she works at, at, at Hooters somewhere and she was wearing her Hooters uniform and people are joking about that and Valerie, Valerie Lareda is getting pissed that um, people are focusing on that. But, you know, this is an amateur, I mean, that's not an amateur fight. This is an introductory fight. Valerie is one to know as a professional. She just made her debut a couple months ago and Bellator is trying to elevate her into a position of status in the organization, obviously because she is outspoken. She can she can she can promote a fight, um, and she has a certain quality of looks to her. If you haven't followed her um, Instagram game, like you got to follow her her Instagram game and kind of get caught up on what she what she posts because yeah, she definitely like she she flaunts it. She flaunts her 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 looks and the fact that she can hang with um, just about anybody when it comes to that department. So then that fight is there. What else is on this card? Um, well, uh, Ropes and Gracie is also one to know making his next MMA debut, or excuse me, next MMA bout. Other than that, there's nothing else really that jumps out to me on this card, but there is a lot to kind of look forward to from the Valerie Laredo fight up. So this is definitely something that people should see. I'm looking forward to the Ben Bendejas and mixed fight. That looks like a really interesting Caldwell and Corabucci. I think it's going to be a great fight. I hope that uh, it lives up to the first one. And I think that this is going to be something interesting. There's another um, cross-promoted fight as well on this. I think it's the other one, uh, Rina Kabuta against Lindsay Van Zant. I think Rina fights in Rising as well. Let me see. I think she, yeah, she fights in Rising. As well, so this is this is pretty good. Let's see what the way this kind of goes. Um, it's, it's from Madison Square Garden. I'm not, it's on on the zone, so you'll be able to catch it there. But this is a pretty good uh, event. I'm looking forward to this uh, for sure. So with that in mind, we're gonna go ahead and close out today's show. As always, I thank you for taking the time to listen to the MMA Rings podcast. This is episode 124. Please be sure to like and share our content. You can catch us here on um, YouTube every week, every Thursday. I have a weekly wrestling podcast. I didn't get to it on Wednesday. I'll probably get a show up for you tomorrow. I have some things to talk about wrestling there. Um, we're gonna be doing some new things on this channel as well. So please feel free to give us a follow, subscribe to our channel, stay uh, up to date on everything that we're doing. Please subscribe. We are one person away, one subscriber away from hitting um, 100, which would be a pretty good milestone for us. We've been doing this for a while. We're just kind of going through some slow growth. So I appreciate everyone that has taken the time to listen to our content, like our content, and share our content. You can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports. Um, catch my co uh, co-host Schwan Hughes at Black Drawing Green. And as always, stay safe. Have a great weekend, and remember, Black Lives Matter.